Today I'm chatting with jazz guitarist, educator, and entrepreneur Brent Varstra. How are you today, Brent? I am doing super good, David. Thanks so much for having me on. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for joining me. So when did you first start getting into music? When did you realize this is something you wanted to make a career out of? Uh, you know, I think, uh, like, like a lot of, uh, you know, kids, you know, I had that rock star dream probably when I was like 10 years old, you know, so that I'm pretty sure it started there where I was really excited about it. Um, and you know, just being in, in rock bands and in, in high school and, you know, just nerding out on music. I don't know. I just, I always loved it. I loved the idea of it. I, it was near the end of high school where I became uh, really into jazz. I found, uh, you know, kind of a small pocket in my town, uh, with a great teacher and got involved with some, uh, other musicians, like-minded students who were really into jazz. And so, uh, long story short, that caused me to, you know, become obsessed and go to jazz school out in New York city, which is where I live to today. And, uh, yeah, now I make my living, uh, primarily off my jazz education website, learnjazzstandards.com. And, uh, also do some gigging around here as well. <laughs> so from aspiring rock star to jazz musician, that's the obvious yeah. path, you know? <laughs> yeah, Actually, I know. What, we, what was I thinking? I don't even know, but we, th that's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> like we kind of joke here in Calgary, you know, you can go and get paid $100 per gig as a rock musician, or you can go play country and be paid $500 per night for the same amount of time and effort. <laughs> right, right. Hmm, which one should I do? Yeah, you know? <laughs> exactly. So that, you know, some amazing rock guitarists do find themselves moving over to country. And I know some people like that. But uh, no, that's really cool. So your bio mentions the fact that you came from Boise, Idaho, performed in That's some true. notable venues there and then you moved to seattle washington and finally mm -hmm. to new york city in 2010 and in that time you spent a lot of time performing and learning from a variety of people so talk about that experience uh yeah yeah absolutely in, in, in seattle i went to an arts college there cornish college of the arts which is which was a great school um and I, I learned from a lot of great teachers there i think ultimately i, I just wanted to be in New York, that's kind of the the jazz mecca for people. You know, people mm. tell it's almost like if you don't live in New York, people are telling fables and stories about you know what's going on in New York and what's happening there. You know, I think with a lot of the arts, but especially in the jazz world. So, uh, I, I wanted to be there. So I, I, you know, after a year in Seattle, I moved on to uh, New York City, where I've been living for the past uh, well, nine years of my life or so, and. Uh, yeah, I studied with some great musicians. You know, I went to the City College of New York there, and bassist John Patitucci was there at the time when I started attending. Uh, I studied with a great guitarist named Vic Juris, uh, uh, Peter Bernstein, one of my my idols. I got to see incredible musicians literally every single night. I was blowing all of my all of my money on uh, pizza and going to jazz clubs. So, uh, yeah, that that was huge for me, just being around all these amazing teachers but also just incredibly talented musicians like you if you you know you never felt so small than when i when you first moved to new york from a smaller little scene and then realizing that you're really nothing compared to what's actually going on but that's also a great learning experience a great place to grow uh, and be challenged the closest thing we have in canada i guess is montreal <laughs> you know if you want yeah. to do jazz that's where you go to and and i know some people have that have certainly done that we don't have anything near the scale of New York in that sense, but it is definitely a great arts town 
it, I love a, Montreal. Oh, One of my yeah. favorite cities, actually, by the way. Oh, yeah. I've heard it's amazing to visit. I've actually never been myself. Oh, got to get out there. Definitely. Yeah. I think the furthest I've been is maybe central Canada. And I haven't oh. been to the east all that much. But there's a lot of beautiful stuff out there. So you're playing jazz. And, you know, <laughs> I'm just wondering, like, how profitable was that for you at that time? Well, uh, you know, I think like any musician that's trying to make it off of performing, you know, it's always a struggle. And, you know, actually, believe it or not, in the jazz world, there are lots of opportunities to make probably a lot more money, at least in the New York scene, than than a rock musician could, for example, um, because you can play all these kinds of private parties and background gigs or, uh, you know, wedding cocktail hours. So there are opportunities, but also at the same time, because, you know, everyone and their dog and every, uh, you know, prodigy student from around the world comes and, uh, you know, moves to New York to try to play jazz. You're also, you know, dealing with a competitive environment and also a place where, you know, rates are kind of lower than you would expect for casuals. And mm. so it, it, it was tough. You know, I, I remember thinking to myself, you know, like as, 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 as college was ending and I, I knew it was coming, I, you know, I have these student loans I have to pay for. I have, uh, you know, uh, I have to pay my rent in New York City. The rent is high. Like, how am I going to do this? And I was already hustling gigs as hard as I could. And so, you know, when college came out, you know, it was over, uh, I was, you know, going crazy, trying to get as many students as I could, trying to hustle as many gigs as I could, looking at those blank spaces on my calendar as we uh, all have done if you've ever tried to make a living doing music primarily on performing. And it's mm-hmm. it's tough and it's hard and uh, it can be done. I have friends that still do it. But luckily for me, in the background with all that, I had my jazz education website, learnjazzstandards.com working, and things were brewing with that. And I was working on that in the background. And uh, little did I know then, I would eventually make a full-time living off of that blog, podcast, and uh, uh, videos. And uh, that really completely changed my life as a musician. Hmm. You know, I think it was over 10 years ago that I interviewed my friend, J.J. Soriano, who's a fantastic jazz guitarist. And I think at some point he actually decided to leave music as a hobby so that it didn't have so much pressure for him to mm-hmm. make money on. But he shared some of the similar sentiments you did that, like there were so many different types of gigs available as a jazz musician. It was just a matter of being connected with somebody who could hook you up with those gigs. And yes. If you weren't connected in that way, then it was a, a real challenge. So that definitely speaks to like the importance of networking and knowing people, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, of course. If you're that's that's a big part of it, actually, is, uh, you know, especially in New York, there's the, the whole uh, jazz jam scene. And, you know, these jam sessions, they'll start at midnight. The house band will play for an hour and then at one o'clock in the morning they open it up to to everybody else and then they go till four o'clock in the morning. And that's pretty much every night. Many different clubs around the city are doing this sort of thing. Uh, you know, so that's definitely something that a lot of people do uh, nowadays. Ah, that's not now. I don't do I don't do that stuff anymore. I mean, my life has obviously changed uh, with the direction my career's gone into. But uh, yeah, the networking, especially in a, a pretty hot scene like New York is is essential. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, that's what I hear from so many people I've talked to to this point. So you decided to build Learn Jazz Standards website. What was your thought process behind that? Yeah, well, the the actual motivation was a survival motivation, like I was kind of (laughs) alluding to earlier. It was this 
feeling of, well, first of all, you know, it's it's tough to make it as a living just, you know, uh, teaching private lessons and just trying to find as many gigs as possible. It's not easy. And then, but even further and beyond that, I started realizing, well, there's a cap to much, how much I can actually make anyways. You know, there's, there's a certain point where it's going to stop. Like I can't move up any further. There's not enough time in the day. My industry won't allow it, you know, unless I break through and become famous, which I had no uh, uh, illusions that that was going to happen. So it really come, came from a, a survival mode. But how I actually got started into making Learn Jazz Standards is a little bit of a different story from most entrepreneurs in that uh, actually back in 2010, a friend of mine uh, who was teaching elementary um, elementary band and, and music, music to elementary kids, he started up the original website. A friend of his threw to, uh, a little blog together for him. He worked on it for a summer and, you know, he couldn't keep up with it. And so he reached out to me after the summer and said, hey, Brent, I started this thing. I think it's interesting. You're in college. You're doing jazz. How about you uh, just sort of start doing this? And so a long story short, uh, you know, eventually my friend really couldn't do much of anything with it. And uh, so I took full control of it. And that's where I really started making things happen. I started changing the website, changing the focus, changing the direction. I started a podcast. I started videos. I started making products. And, you know, the rest is history with that. But that's where things really started to take off. And, you know, it was around that time when I was just getting done with college where I started really throwing my entire self into it. Uh, because I felt like there was potential there. I felt like I was onto something and I was making a lot of mistakes. I was screwing up a lot. I didn't know what I was doing, but every time I learned something new, you know, a light bulb went off and, you know, I started realizing, you know, there's something here and I think I can maybe, maybe make just my rent off of this website. Maybe I can do it, you know, and I'm doing something I love. I'm, I'm teaching jazz. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm doing music. I'm getting to work on this stuff. Um, now it makes a lot more than just my rent. Um, so that's more than I thought was, was possible. Yeah, it's true. Like, I guess unless you're scanning Empire Flippers all day looking for websites to buy, you're not necessarily <laughs> starting with somebody else's website and building it up to a certain point. Although I'm sure a lot of website owners would love to see that and maybe even sell their website to someone who can take it to the next level. So that's super cool. Yeah, Empire Flippers. I recently discovered Empire Flippers and was looking through that. That's very interesting uh, that you mentioned Empire Flippers. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's a couple of online marketplaces for websites, but that's kind yeah. of, the, I think that's kind of the main one, one of the best ones out there honestly and they have a great podcast too uh, i'm a fan of that show so how did you come to realize that there was such a hungry market in jazz is that something you knew when you started building the website um i think not at first because i i didn't really like i said i didn't really know what i was doing i didn't really know what to expect i i really was just doing it because i was sort of passionate about it and i also looked on it as as an opportunity to you know, learn myself because a lot of the things that I was starting to teach or make resources for were things that were actually just helping me practice. And at the time I was an absolutely obsessed musician practicing, you know, ridiculous hours and, you know, just had right. no other life than practicing and playing music and, you know, that whole story of things, you know. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I didn't know that there was a market for it necessarily, but as I started learning more, I started realizing that, you know, as I started seeing, hey, there's more visitors coming to my website, like, oh my goodness, I didn't even realize that 
you know, I was supposed to be sending emails and I just checked my, <laughs> you know, mailing list and I have 800 subscribers. Oh my goodness. Like I, I didn't even know that was possible. And that's when things started, I started to realize, oh, there are people out there. They're listening to me. They actually care. And how do I get reach more people? How do I find more? And how do I figure out who exactly are these people that are out there? What do they want from me and how can I serve them better? Uh, you know, I definitely remember those days of obsessively practicing and I would talk to other musicians <laughs> and they would talk about their three hour days and all that. But I think what you soon realize, especially if you get into something like this, where you're podcasting and blogging and updating your website and interacting on social media, you actually can't sustain that forever. It's you can, Oh, no, 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 you definitely. Yeah, you definitely cannot. In fact, I, I did an episode on uh, my my Learn Jazz Standards podcast podcast. Uh, where I, I literally woke up in the morning. I was like, it's podcast recording day. Uh, you, wow, you know, I really need to practice, though. I'm a little out of practice. I haven't had the time lately. It was a busy season. <laughs> so I literally did an episode called maintenance, uh, a maintenance practice session. I basically walked people through how to do a maintenance practice session. But really, I was just practicing for them. And yeah. uh, actually, that, that one was really well received by people. Yeah, super cool idea. Yeah. But, you know, I think I had like two or three years where I was like, okay, I'm setting the goal of practicing three hours a day and I would meticulously track every minute and I didn't reach that goal that year. So then next year I tried again and track meticulously tracked every minute. And I was like, okay, I made it. And so that's the, yeah. kind of the level of effort that it takes. And I think I duplicated that again and went on to write 365 songs in a year, which is a whole story unto itself. Wow. But Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, but there's a lot of junk, man. (laughs) Oh, sure. But I'm, yeah, I'm sure that out of, man, that's inspiring. Because, you know, that's what every composer always tells me. It's like, wow, you just write a ton and ton of, a ton of music. And, you know, half of it might suck, but there might be some, you know, you know, gold that kind of sticks out of all that stuff. So, wow, that's, that's inspiring, man. Well, there was, there was a couple of songs that still I perform live to this day, maybe not as, oh, as often as I used to, but they're still great songs and people love them and they know me for them. So, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Wow. Now we can definitely see that this was not an overnight process. So how long did it take for you to build LJS into a six figure business? Yeah, it, it, it did take a while. You know, like I said, at the beginning, it, it was sort of just not really, knowing what I was doing, not really understanding the potential of what it, what was happening. Um, so, you know, really, you know, if I'm to be exact, it it took around, uh, you know, it took around eight years or so for that Mm -hmm. to actually happen. But that's, again, that's because there, there wasn't a lot of action on my part until, you know, probably around four years ago where I really started putting uh, my back into it and, and started learning and started, you know, understanding and learning from my mistakes. And, and so, you know, the, the big game changer for me was, you know, when I started realizing that I needed to find the right products for my audience. And uh, I remember the first time I, I made an ebook, uh, it was a jazz etudes ebook, and I, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know anything about launching a product. Um, but I remember sending that sales email out, not really knowing what was going to happen. And then all of a sudden, look, watching my inbox and seeing, you know, an email notification, it said, hey, you have a sale. I was like, okay, so it looks like this sort of works. So let's take a look at that. And then a second later, another sale. And then a minute later, another sale, another sale, another sale. And that's kind of when the light bulb went up. And I was like, wait a second, 
this whole time I haven't been giving the right products to them or haven't been selling to them to, to my audience at all. And I could be helping them so much more with my products. And so from there I started making e-courses and then I realized that people loved e-courses and the type of e-courses that I was making were serving my audience. And so, you know, then I started making more e-books and, and, and expanding that and, you know, that's really where the success really started to happen is, uh, of course, the whole time I'm creating really valuable content to build my audience. I'm creating great podcast episodes and blog posts and videos, you know, trying to help and find the pain points of my audience. And in the process of doing that, I'm learning about them so that I know what are the things that they need help with. And those are the kind of products I started to make. And that's where things really started to to come together. And uh you know, and eventually that broke through into, like you said, a six figure business. Wow. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I mean, I often share with people that it's going to be two to five years, two years, if you're very aggressive, five years, if you're lazy, but still consistent. But sometimes it does take 10 years too. And I make sure I warn people of that because really there's no accounting for personal biases and preferences and how you learn. And when you have your, those breakthroughs, like I'm still learning a lot myself as I continue to create new products and share on social media and build this podcast, like it's ongoing. It, it doesn't actually end the learning part. Yeah, a- absolutely. And th- that's kind of what I talk about on, uh, on my podcast, my, my, my newest podcast, passive income musician is I, I'm, I'm trying to help people basically, you know, I'm trying to teach them not to make all the mistakes that I made, right? To, you know, it's going to take a while. It's going to take some consistency, like you just said. But, you know, if you're doing the right things and you're asking the right questions and you have some real strategies in place, you can speed up that process so that you can uh, be making a living online. Specifically, I teach, I teach making, uh, you know, teaching music online. Oh, yeah. I think your podcast is like a note for note strategy on what to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's 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 the goal. That's definitely the goal. Yeah, I think if you wanted to turn that into a book or a course or something like that down the line, you totally could because you're you're kind of going from step A to step Z, you know. David, you uh you seem to have uh, an insight to my brain. So <laughs> <laughs> I can see what you're up to for sure. For sure. <laughs> yeah. But we're going to get into that. Um, but first, I, you know, another thing I wanted to get into was the fact that you're author of a couple of Hal Leonard publications. So you got the 500 mm-hmm. Jazz Licks and mm-hmm. Visual Improvisation for Jazz Guitar. So that's quite the achievement, too. How did, how did that come about? Oh, that's a, that's a great question. So, um, and there's also a lesson in here too, actually. Hmm. So, uh, it was, uh, you know, I think th- four years ago or so, uh, I, I wasn't so sure if learn jazz standards was going to succeed. I, I again, I, I didn't really know what I was doing. I wasn't applying, I wasn't educating myself yet. So I wasn't really quite sure, you know, what was going to happen with learn jazz standards. So I thought, I'm going to start another business and I, I created this basically uh, online jazz school of sorts where you could sign up to take Skype lessons from, you know, different instrumentalists. And I thought this is going to work. And, um, 
you know, I put, I put it out there and long story short, that business didn't really necessarily succeed. I mean, it, it, it made some money, but it really wasn't it partly maybe because I wasn't able to throw my resources behind it because I was too busy with uh, my, with learn jazz standards or there could have been a number of other reasons. But the one thing that did come out of it was, uh, just putting myself out there. The vice president of Hal Leonard found me and uh, also saw what I was doing on learn jazz standards. And he said, Hey, I love what you're doing. Would love to see if you'd be interested in writing any of these titles that we are interested in, uh, publishing. And I, you know, read the email a couple times over, you know, unsure of if it was real or not, deciding that I'll at least, you know, have some faith that it is real, responded back and said, yeah, sure. I, I, yeah, I'd love to see the titles. And so he gave me a list of titles. The one that I thought was, you know, the easiest that I could probably do was, was 500 jazz licks, actually kind of a ridiculous a ridiculous effort, uh, to be honest with you, no 500 licks was, uh, it, it was, it was, it was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. Um, uh, but that was kind of my inroad <laughs> with getting a deal. And it was just simply because, uh, I put myself out there. Uh, I had a really professional looking website and of course, you know, having learned jazz standards, like, you know, may, maybe at that very moment I, I was only making so much money off of learned jazz standards, but it also opened up a huge opportunity for me. And so then, you know, years down the line, I, uh, had my own book that I wanted to publish, uh, the visual improvisation for jazz guitar and just pitched the idea to the, the idea to them and, uh, they, they liked it. And so, yeah, that's, that's how I got in with, uh, Hal Leonard. Oh, that's great. It's kind of like a freebie, you know, and there aren't too many of those in this industry. Like, yeah, you start to get a few more perks as an online blogger and podcaster and people might send you their products and you mm -hmm. might get the occasional, hey, could you come on my blog or podcast to talk about this? But there there definitely aren't too many freebies. Like, you really got to put the work in for that to happen. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it, it's, you know, I, I could I could sit here and say, well, David, it's because I'm a very talented musician <laughs> and they I, I just stood out like a sore thumb. And, you know, the, the truth is it, it did kind of just fall into my lap, um, but it was the result of simply putting myself out there, creating lots of content, yeah. you know, and when you do sort of, sort of things like this, like you never know what's going to happen. So, you know, the best thing you can do is just to start and put yourself out there and, and, and you never know what can come out of it. Yeah, it's true. And, and these days it really isn't about being the most technically capable musician. I think musicians who can engage an audience are, are winning out on musicians who can play really well and are, you know, lamenting the fact that they can't get anybody to pay attention to their music. Mm, yeah. And that's, and that's something that, and, and that's why I'm really passionate about teaching people, um, kind of how to do what I do, how to make a living, uh, teaching music online and, and, and marketing and all this stuff, because a lot of, I know a lot of really talented musicians, like so talented that it, it's hard to believe that they're not just playing and touring all the time. And, yep. um, but the thing that they don't have is they don't have the marketing skills. Like they just don't know how to to, to promote themselves, you know, and that's something that a lot of us artists can get kind of wrapped up in is just the art side and just, you know, that, that self-indulgent feeling like, you know, we were creating art and now someone should pay attention to me, but that's not necessarily how it works. And if you want to make a business, if you want to make a living doing music in any way, shape or fashion, um, you're going to have to learn some marketing skills. You're gonna have to learn how to think like a business person. And if you can get those skills, you know, you are going to be so much more likely to succeed rather than just being absorbed with your art and hoping for the best with that. Mm -hmm. That's one of the reasons I exist as well. So I totally appreciate that <laughs> <laughs> you're doing a service. So 
What is one of the biggest challenges you've encountered as an entrepreneur? How did you overcome it? Ooh, big challenges. Uh, you know, uh, a big challenge, there's so many challenges, it's hard to really pick which one. Um, but, uh, you know, one, one challenge is simply being the, you know, having faith really, I think is the biggest challenge is, is things are going to be hard. You know, you're going to come across a lot of roadblocks. It's going to be a lot of obstacles and you're going to hear people's success stories and, you know, you're going to see their highlight reels as, as an entrepreneur and like what they're able to do. And you're going to wonder at some, sometimes in your journey, you know, why am I there or what am I doing wrong? Or, you know, do people really care about my message and my story and what I have to offer to them? And it can be discouraging and it can be, you know, being an entrepreneur, it can be a very lonely adventure. Um, so, you know, the, the challenge is, is really just to stick with it, to stay with it, to uh, keep creating, to keep having that vision, um, to not give up. And a lot of people, I think, that, that don't end up succeeding as um, online entrepreneurs of any kind, you know. They don't go far enough. They, you know, they're, it's it's like that story of uh, that that swimmer who is trying to swim to shore, and you know there was so much fog, and so she gave up. Uh, you know, and she went onto the boat and said, you know, I'm, I don't know how far it is away. And then when the fog lifted, the shore was literally just like you know another twenty feet, twenty five yeah. feet away, or something like. There's some story like that, and you know, you you should really just you know just keep going. And that's what I did, and. Like I said to you earlier, David, like I wouldn't imagine that my business would have taken me to where it is if you would have asked me this four or five years ago. I just wouldn't have imagined it. And so that's to that persistence, that keeping the long, the long-term goals in mind and just uh, sticking with it. That's so important. I was on the Unconventional Life podcast earlier this year, and I shared about this very thing that in 2014, I was going outside to go for walks during the summer. And every every day I would just put on the Fizzle Show, which is a great podcast, by the way. I would put on the Fizzle Show. I would go outside by myself and go for a walk and then wonder when this stuff was going to happen for me, right? Because they're talking about viral videos mm. and blogs that are taking off and businesses that are doing really well. And I would just be sitting there going, when is this going to happen for me? I'm working yeah. really hard on this. So, yeah. It, and I haven't arrived yet either. You know, there's still much to do, but... Even if I look back on the last four years and see what I've been able to do, it's actually pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, it's never, it, it's always good to, uh, you know, look at your own, you know, what's your personal record? You know, it's not about somebody else. It's, it's about, you know, where have you gone within your business, you know, from, from when you first started, you know, and just looking at that and tracking that rather than even looking at anybody else uh, and what they're doing. Yeah. Now on the flip side of that, what is one of the biggest victories you've experienced as an entrepreneur? Oh, biggest victories. Also so many of those. Um, I think just the biggest victory, I won't be so specific. I'll be more broad. The biggest victory is, is the freedom that this business has given me. Like I said before, you know, before, like when I was, you know, first really, uh, you know, trying to, you know, get my gigging career going and, and it was always this game of, of stress of, you know, I was making it, but just barely. And it was looking at those empty spots in the calendar. It was, you know, constant hustle, constant struggle. And you can forget about it, you know, going on a vacation. You can forget about, you know, taking some time off because that means that you're losing money, right? You know, it means that, mm -hmm. you know, there's going to be a hole where in, in your bank account where there, there wasn't before. So for me, it's really the freedom that making passive income as a musician 
can can give me. It's it's the I've told this story on my my podcast is um, this year my wife uh, switched jobs and you know there's a week in between and we decided well hey let's take this advantage to to go on a little vacation to get out between these jobs so you can refresh and restart and you know because I had built this asset my my jazz education website because I had built this uh, you know I was able to. Do I was able to leave on a vacation and still make sales while I was, you know, out traveling, you know, and that's an amazing feeling to have when you're, when you realize that, you know, you can take a day off that you can, you know, take some time and it's hardly hard work and it's hard work to get to that point. But, you know, having that freedom is, is by far the victory. You know, for me, it's not about necessarily having a lot of money. It's not about any of that. It's really about just having that life that I want and, and even being able to pursue my own musical and, you know, t- things that I want to do my own projects. And yeah, that can be hard if, you know, making money off of playing music is, you know, what you're relying on. It can be hard sometimes to do exactly what you want to do. So that it's really freedom, I think is my biggest victory. Mm-hmm. You know what? I'm in the same boat. You know, that's what I want <clears throat> for my life to be able to work on any project that I want to of my choosing and be able to make money while I'm traveling. And I've seen a little bit of that. I've gotten to experience a little bit of that on my journey to this point. So it's it's amazing. It's an amazing feeling. These days, I don't have to get up and go to a job. So <laughs> that in itself was a huge accomplishment. That is super awesome, man. Super yeah. awesome. Yeah. And then are there any books or other resources that helped you on your journey? Oh, man, so many. And I'm sure that you like know a lot of them. So just a lot of the like online entrepreneurs out there like um, Mm -hmm. uh, Darren Rouse is a blogger. He's the first guy that I really started checking out. Chris Guillebeau, Pat Flynn, um, Amy Porterfield, uh, Chris Ducker. There's so many online entrepreneurs that I really have to thank all of them just for being able to consume their podcasts and their books and all of this great stuff out there that they have to offer. Um, and then just lots of, you know, I've read lots of books that were just inspiring to me. You know, um, I'm thinking of, uh, Chris Gillibow's the hundred dollar startup, you know, mm-hmm. which is a really kind of basic book about how to start an online business, you know, from scratch, but you know, just some of those ideas, you know, were really inspiring to me. So, yeah. Yeah, just there's so much there's so many resources out there it's true like we could go down the list and i've certainly tapped into a lot of the resources of the people you just mentioned and i've been reading the hundred dollar startup this year usually I'm, oh, nice. I'm much quicker at reading books but this year in the last year you know <clears throat> i haven't kept to that fifth a book a week program that i was on for a couple of years um, oh that's a that's a great goal my goodness oh yeah i mean i heard that every ceo generally does read on average 52 books a year. So I said, why not? (laughs) Yeah, go for it. Yeah. Yeah. I tend to do a lot of reading too. I think that's a huge piece of advice for the audience is, Hmm. uh, is just educate yourself in every way possible. And we're talking about business right here. Like we're not talking about music necessarily, but if you want to make a living off of your music, whether it's teaching it, whether it's, you know, licensing your music, however, whatever your, your way is, uh, you're going to have to learn these skills, you know? And so reading and educating yourself Oh man, it's so important. It's made a, a huge difference uh, for me. And it sounds like it has for you too. Oh yeah, absolutely. There's only ever a few books that stick with me out of the you know hundreds that I've read, but I can easily point to those and say I, I rec- wholeheartedly recommend these you know ten books or a dozen books or so. A lot of the other ones may not stick with you, but if you 
go through that practice of reading, you still benefit from it anyway. Oh, yes. 100%. 100%. Well, this has been a great conversation. And I'm sure people actually want to be able to get to the juicy tactical stuff and things about re revenue streams and passive income and all that. So are you willing to come on another episode to share about that? Oh, I'm definitely willing. Yeah. Thanks so much. Uh, thanks for having me, David. I really appreciate it. Excellent. Well, thank you for your time and your generosity. And we'll, we'll be back with another episode. Awesome. Thanks, David. Really appreciate that. All right. Thank you for listening. Music in this episode was brought to you by Brian Young. Wherever you're listening to this right now, please consider leaving a five-star review and comment to help us get the word out about the podcast.